0: and welcome to another episode of the Performance Car Podcast. I'm Associate Editor Scott Newman and with me today is a very special guest, Rob Trubiani who is Lead Vehicle Dynamics Engineer for Holden Australia. And what we're in today is the prototype for the Holden ZB Commodore, the V6 all-wheel drive which I'll uh, we'll be driving later today and Rob, I'll be chatting about with Rob. So we've also got Michael in the back doing the sounds and levels and Mark Flintoff who is PR for Holden to make sure we don't say anything too controversial (laughs) so Rob tell us a little bit about yourself to begin with basically how you got started you've been with Holden since 96 I believe how you got started and how one becomes lead uh, vehicle dynamics engineer which is a pretty cool job for Holden. Absolutely yeah I
1: think I have the best job in the company yeah Uh, yeah, as you said I started in 96 I've been working 21 years now on uh, on Holden Um, I, my father used to work at Holden, he uh, worked for over 40 years in the company and uh, you know my passion for the company I guess started uh, when, <laughs> at a very early age and uh, yeah I was nine-year-old when I decided this is the job I wanted to do, I'd been talking to him about you know what people do for careers and uh, he told me about you know the fact that people actually get paid to be tuning cars and, and I thought wow this is awesome. So yeah, I spent
0: my, um, my days at school just working towards that end result. Okay, so you studied engineering at school. I did, yeah. And then how do you transfer that into, you obviously had a passion for driving as well. I did, So yeah. you just uh, talk to the right people within Holden and keep putting your hand up and going, hey, I'd like to do this, I'd like to do this.
1: Yeah, look, I was very fortunate at the end of uh, second year uni to get a, um, a three month placement at Holden uh, as a student. And uh, I then got the same opportunity at the end of third year uni. And then finishing up uh, fourth year, which was my final mm-hmm. exam, I rang the, my previous boss at, at Holden and uh, told him I was finishing up and would they happen to have a position available. And uh, they were in the serious business of developing VT and he said we'll take you straight on. Yeah, so, fantastic. Yeah, very fortunate to, uh,
0: to be able to walk in the company after finishing uni and have been there ever since. Fantastic. So what today we're going to talk about is not so much a review of this car or necessarily about this car in general. Um, Basically, there are a lot of skeptics, especially in the Motor Magazine fold. A lot of our readers drive the traditional V8 Performance Commodore um, and they go, "Um, how can this car be... how can this car fulfill what I like out of a performance car? You know, it's all-wheel drive, it's V6, etc, etc. And while you can't do anything about where it's made or it's necessary drivetrain now what you can do is influence how it drives and if you drive a Redline or any recent performance Commodore I mean we're at Motor we're big fans of not to you know blow smoke but you know, we're big fans of that product it's a great car Thank you. so you and your team obviously have an understanding about what makes a good drivers car so to you what does make a good drivers car what Uh, what elements are you trying to put into this car or any car to you know make it enjoyable to drive yeah
1: so to wear the Holden badge and to wear especially the Commodore badge on the vehicle it had to be as you said great to drive Mm -hmm. and you know we have a very good understanding of what Australians want out of the Commodore and the performance that they're looking for and so for us it's uh, about getting the car uh, really connected through the steering wheel, so we've worked very heavily on the electric power steering to really make the car precise, you know, you turn the car into the corner and it goes exactly where you want, there's no second bites at the steering wheel, um, getting good steering weighting, uh, not too heavy, but just the right amount of feedback. And then from a damper perspective, we look at getting really good body control in the car, but still getting that comfort. So. For us, great to drive is really about giving the driver confidence behind the wheel, whether they're just tootling around or, they're, you know, on a spirited drive, they always need to feel confident and comfortable behind the wheel, and the car needs to be precise and never doing anything that's unexpected.
0: Mm-hmm. You. Um, steering is one interesting point, I mean, a lot of companies struggle and as they improve as the te- technology, de- de- technology develops, but you seem to get a handle on EPS quite quickly. Um, is that one of those things where you find it offers, the tuning possibilities offer a lot more scope for improvement than an old hydraulic system or you, uh, you know is that something a lot of people went EPS oh it's terrible you can't get the right feel but there is more opportunity if you take advantage of, of the technology Absolutely. to get that you know, feel, feel and feedback. Yeah correct the tunability in an EPS system far
1: exceeds anything available on a hydraulic system. But you've got to do your work right. Yeah. It's it's hundreds of hours behind the wheel, and um, you know just continuing to try and get more and more refinement. Uh, EPS allows you to um, increase efforts with steering speed, uh-huh. but it also offers a whole lot of other um, tunable parameters that allow you to get that precision. I think what. You know really i guess sets us apart is that we spend so much time focusing on absolutely every little fine detail in the eps near enough is never good enough um, and you know the steering is really your the driver's connection to the to the car and to the road so making sure that uh, that you know you have that precision takes a lot of work but it's very rewarding once you get the EPS system right it's a really rewarding
0: experience so what opportunities obviously you're coming from you know rear-wheel drive different um, probably weight distribution different layout of car similar size car but still um, a very different type of product so what opportunities does this layouts give you specifically, I mean, VF was quite a big uh, step forward, but essentially I suppose the basic structure was of VE, which was what, 2004, 2005. So you've got a brand new body shell with the latest technology. What opportunities does that give you in terms of creating a driver's car?
1: Yeah, so, uh, the, as you said, the ZB is off a completely new generation, a new architecture, so it's lighter and more nimble. It's still a, a large car. It sits somewhere between a, a VF and a VT Commodore, so it's still a, a large car, but it feels considerably lighter and more nimble. Um, one of the things that has been a, you know, a huge revelation for us is, is working on an all-wheel drive system. The all-wheel drive system, which we're currently in at the moment, V6. Um, is, is phenomenal, the traction that it delivers is, is absolutely brilliant and it's a fully preemptive system so uh, it's looking constantly at what the driver's inputs are, it's looking at the, your, your steering, it's looking at your throttle and your brake and before the, the engine can even make the torque that you're requesting with the throttle it's already um, you know, telling the diff what to do and where to split the torque so not only can it um, split talk
0: front and rear, but it can also split talk left and right. Yeah, let's talk about that briefly. Because it is a twinster style system, which Correct. we sort of got like, introduced into that um, into that term with the Focus RS, yeah. which in turn took it from a Land Rover Evoque, uh, I believe. Um, so the system's kind of been around for a little while now. So what are the advantages? Maybe explain roughly how a twinster system d- um, differs from maybe another sort of system that maybe you considered like the, the Howdeck system or something similar and the advantages of that system
1: yeah so the twinster system is basically delivers true torque vectoring so it can as an example when the car sees the driver requesting a turn it will reduce torque on the inside uh, rear wheel and increase the torque on the outside rear wheel to help the car rotate to the corner uh, with our system we've also created two different calibrations so with the uh, sports button uh, it gives us that ability to change the twinster mapping and gives you a more sporty drive so in its normal mode we're keeping the car very neutral in the sports mode we allow a little bit more your attitude on the vehicle but it also sharpens up the response of the car into the apex of the corner so it bumps up a little bit more torque on the outside wheels and, um, and, as I said, reduces torque on the inside wheel and allows the car to, to get into the apex. Okay, it's so a great that, system.
0: So that's a key point of, I guess, the real question is why is somebody coming, um, like a, a traditional Aussie enthusiast, not just Commodore, but I mean Aussie enthusiasts have been raised on rear-wheel-drive vehicles and the Twinster system allows you to give a car a rear-wheel-drive feel. I mean, the Focus RS has proven that. Um, even though this car can only go to a max, I believe, of 50-50 torque split. Correct. How can it, why should somebody be excited about this? How does it give it that rear-driven feel? Does it have a rear-driven feel? How rear-driven is it?
1: Yeah, so as you said, it splits torque to a maximum of 50-50 front and rear, but, uh, what's really impressive is the traction that it delivers. So it's the ability to get onto the power early, um, and drive yourself through the corner. Um, yeah this car delivers traction levels that we've never seen on a commodore before
0: yeah so i guess um i haven't mm-hmm. driven this car yet but is it partly that feeling of putting more torque to the outside rear wheel so the car does feel when you get on the power it does pivot in that sort of traditional sense is that a bit of what you're chasing or? yes correct and also
1: on uh, on loose surfaces like a gravel road which is very typical in australia the car is phenomenal. Like mm-hmm. the traction that it can deliver on a on a gravel road is is incredible, and on a wet road. So Holden, you know, the Commodore traditionally has been uh, a leader for for an Australian car on safety mm-hmm. systems, and certainly the the new car continues that that trend.
0: Um, the all-wheel drive system delivers a, a level of road safety that's yeah phenomenal. Okay, so th- well, another new thing for Commodore is basically multi-mode systems, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, is um, there'll be three-mode, I think three-mode system which will affect damping control, steering control, transmission and engine response. Is that reasonable? Yeah. So on, um,
1: on our VXR, we'll mm-hmm. offer um, a, a mode selector. Mm-hmm. On the other variants, we'll have a sports mode. So in the uh, V6 all-wheel drives, we'll have a sports mode that changes the steering calibration. The uh, transmission calibration, and also the twinster all-wheel
0: drive system. To play devil's advocate a little bit, to get your response to it, is that why uh, why make especially in terms of steering calibration, why make multi modes? Why not make it just make it right? Yeah, in terms of steering. Yeah, I so suppose specifically. Yeah. I mean, for instance, transmission you can kind of get because sometimes you want a more aggressive map. Uh, suspension there is obviously value in maybe having firmer body control versus a softer ride in some situations but particularly in steering because like you say you spend a lot of time getting the steering right why why make it uh, different modes why not make it yeah that's a
1: great question the way that I certainly uh, look at it is I never look at doing extremes I don't make the base mode uh, say very light um, which you know doesn't give you any any uh, good sense of road feedback. Our modes aren't wildly different; they're just um, small changes. So the sports mode steering cal is slightly heavier, but not um, not to detract from you know any good road feedback. It's just to enhance the the system. So people who are looking to go into the sports mode to give it a more spirited drive will just have a little bit more weighting in the steering, but you don't lose any of the precision. Um, all of that precise feel of the car still carries over. Mm-hmm. So, the, yeah, the, the calibration changes aren't to get extremes. They are similar in, in flavour and feel, uh, just with, a, I guess, a little bit more weighting.
0: Yeah, a, a common thing is that um, I think a lot of people mistake weighting for feel. Like Sport, for instance, will give a slightly heftier... to give, a, I suppose, a bit more resistance to a as you turn. But, I mean, there's no, there's no mode that can give a steering system any more feel, is there, really?
1: Not really. You, there are parameters that you can change in the calibration to, to give you that. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't uh, go chasing any more feel because, yeah. like you said earlier, why wouldn't you have good feel in the base mode? And, and that's certainly one aspect that I've always looked at, making sure that the base mode feels great. Um, so the sports mode is more just to give you a little bit more weighting. It's not necessarily making the car any more precise. You should have that already in your base mode.
0: Yeah, okay. okay. So what we hear a lot about is Aussie conditions. Um, it's why, you know, you're, why you're involved in this car, this is a global car, but it's why we're here. Um, and other manufacturers now have also gotten on that train. Why go to such time and expense? For a relatively small market, what's so particular about Australian roads, Australian conditions that you need to spend all this time changing a car's steering, suspension, etc, etc, for our local market?
1: Yeah, Australia, as you know, is a huge country with varying roads across its landscape. So uh, for example, the roads up in far north Queensland are quite different to the roads that you'll get here in in Melbourne. which are different again to the roads in Sydney. So, uh, and then heading west, different again. So uh, Australia, you know, we've been, Holden has been working on the Commodore now for nearly 40 years and we have an incredible uh, understanding of basically, you know, what our customers are looking for and what the different road conditions around the country. So we do a lot of test trips regularly, um, getting the car out there and tuning on those different roads. Our roads, compared to say certain parts of Europe, for example, where they run very smooth, um, smooth, fine asphalt, um, our roads typically run coarser, chip on the road. Uh, you get a lot more input through the road surface. So, yeah, it's a it's a different different condition, I guess, to um, a lot of the roads around the world, and we want to make sure that. This car is fit to wear the Holden and the Commodore badge. So we spend we have spent a lot of time in tuning and making sure that it's fit for all the road conditions around Australia.
0: And what are the, some of the changes that you've made and typically made? Because obviously you do the same thing to uh, you know, Astro and Marina and things like that. What are the changes you typically make and have made to this car? In terms of making it fit for that purpose, yeah, getting the
1: car to have great body control for me is very much uh, part of the, the Holden feel. Uh, making sure that the body is really well controlled because you do get these big heaves in the roads and and uh, odd inputs, um, but also then making sure that the car has enough rolling isolation so as you don't feel beaten up at the end of the drive that the car is rolling over these inputs, um, and you know you're
0: not feeling. I guess um, bounced around by the car. Okie interesting. So we've talked quite a bit about this car, I actually want to talk about briefly about another thing, is uh, about the Nürburgring. Yeah. Because you're one of very, very few people I believe in the GM world that is licensed and accredited to drive at the Nürburgring and, uh, and able to do laps at the Nürburgring. So tell me a little bit how that came about in terms of why did you get that accreditation, I assume you can't just do it for fun. There's a need to be a pretty um, good reason to go through that process. So what is the process like?
1: Yeah, so Holden uh, was very fortunate back in 2007-odd to be working on the fifth generation Camaro program. And as part of that program, we wanted to make sure that um, it had been stamped at the Nürburgring and we had done uh, its development there as well. So uh, I had to do my licensing both uh, at our GM proving ground in North America, which was quite a difficult process, and then from there you have to get your accreditation at the Nürburgring. So we go there during what they call an industry pool time, and during those times it's essentially like a closed proving ground just for manufacturers, so you'll see a lot of spy shots at that time. Uh, To be able to drive at that time on the Nürburgring you have to get There's one of two schools that, or there are two schools that do the training for it. And it's basically a three-day course uh, where you've got to drive with an instructor. The instructor that I drove with, he's done 18,000 laps around the circuit. So he certainly knew his way around there. And they would teach you, I guess, the nuances of the track. And you had to know it by memory by the end of it. Mm -hmm. So it was, by the end of the three days, you had to know your way around the circuit. And, uh... And yeah, it was a—it's a challenging
0: road. That's did you spend short... any time on the PlayStation to hopefully uh, speed up the?
1: I did a little bit, yeah. but nowhere near as much as what uh, you would think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was really just time
0: around the track. And is, how demanding is, is it to attain that level of? I mean, you're um, a very handy steerer, um, but how difficult was it to? Did you feel that you needed to lift your skills quite a lot to hit that, or was it just a case of? getting your head around the track and the yeah so the GM licensing before they allow you to get to the Nürburgring is
1: really really strict mm-hmm. so um, getting through the GM system was really quite a challenge um, and then by the time we got to the Nürburgring they had said to us um, usually the GM guys uh, who who go for their Nürburgring training um, usually they are well and truly uh, developed and ready. It's just a matter of teaching them the nuances of the track.
0: So why use the Nürburgring? The Nürburgring is very famous now for uh, everybody goes and tries to lap times and stuff like that, and that gets a lot of publicity. But that's not the point of the exercise, is it? Why use the Nürburgring? I mean, GM's got amazing test facilities. You've got a good, amazing test facilities here. Yeah why then go to the nurberg
1: ring yeah the nurberg ring what's interesting about the track so it's 21 kilometers long um but what you don't see a lot on the or what you don't really pick up in the videos is the elevation change so from the highest point of the track to the lowest point is a thousand feet or roughly 300 meters so um the Rialto building for example in Melbourne is 250 meters tall so imagine a track that goes from the top of that uh, that skyscraper all the way to the bottom and back up again I mean it's it's uh the elevation that really makes that place unique I think um, over such a short journey now 21 kilometers is long for a racetrack but in in that lap yeah you've you've had some really steep climbs and arduous climbs where um, it's just constant for a long time. So it's hard on the engine, it's hard on the powertrain. And then you've also got the big descents, which work the the brakes really hard. Um, and, And then coupled into all of that is you've got a whole heap of corners, over 100 corners that the chassis is getting a workout over. So you've got these small rises and dips and all of that that really push and pull the car around. Uh, and then couple that with all of the corners, um, and the elevation really tests the entire car. It's testing the powertrain, the braking system, the, you know, the transmission gets a workout, um, and then the tyres and the suspension along with it.
0: Fantastic. So, actually, while we're talking about racetracks, um, will the VXR of this be racetrack capable? the VXR has
1: gone through a level of track capability for GM, yes. So, so not, to a,
0: not to a red line capability, for instance?
1: Um, probably not to the same
0: extreme, no. Okay, no worries. Um, to wrap up, maybe, let's uh, talk about. The VF at the Nurburgring—that was interesting. You went and did, it did an eight-minute 19 lap, I believe, yeah. a bit faster than you thought it was going to be.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah the car um, surprised how
0: much, us. How much was left in uh, Rob? How much? I mean, you, you had a very short window, and that's on a yeah. 21-kilometer track. It's absolutely. About, it's so, about mistake minimisation, really. Yeah. So. so the
1: timed lap that you've seen um, is is one lap. We mm-hmm. were given. We we were there for uh, a couple of weeks, just in you know tuning and checking the car but the the lap that we were allowed to do was one timed lap no pressure then so yeah you had to you had to lay it out uh for that one lap i guess um is there some left in it yeah there probably was a little bit um but just because i guess we didn't want to fly the car into the fence yeah Um, the the track is unforgiving absolutely it's uh, you know you will have seen um, you know basically you've got very small runoff before you hit the fence so uh,
0: could we eke a little bit more out of it maybe a little but yeah it was a quick lap well the interesting thing would be uh, you know this is all theoretical now but for instance a motorsport edition a you've got um, the 6.2 LS3 so Mm -hmm. That especially at such a high-speed track, I imagine that extra power would pay dividends. You've also got the bigger brakes. You've got magnetic ride. You've got. So the question is, how much faster would a, how much faster do you think a Commodore, whether a Magnum or a Motorsport Edition, would go? I mean, is it it a massive time game? Would you approach eight minutes or eight minutes ten? I think
1: you'd be be be? getting very close.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah. The the performance out of the out of the LS3 engine certainly help about you. about that big climb up to the carousel and stuff, surely you'd be making decent gains on...
1: Yeah, and the car was, and uh, the VF is geared mm-hmm. um, slightly differently, so yep. there's a different diff ratio. Um, yeah, so when you add all of those things together, yeah, I, I don't know what the final number would be, but
0: it would be certainly quicker than what, um, what we set. Okay, well, any final remarks on why? Aussie car enthusiasts should give this car a chance. I mean, as I say, I haven't driven this car yet. I have no opinion on whether, you know, it's going to be success or anything like that. But from your point of view, someone who's been heavily involved in Commodore since VT yep. and seen that big progression and now involved in this project, how? what are your final... You've got an opportunity to give some parting thoughts to Aussie car enthusiasts about this new car. What do you want to say to them?
1: Yeah, certainly, you know, Holden um, is... You know, absolutely um, passionate about the cars that we develop uh, and all the cars that we sell. The Commodore we know holds a special name for the Australian buyers, and we wanted to make sure that the new ZB Commodore is absolutely worthy of wearing the Commodore badge. Um, we have a really good understanding of the Australian roads and the requirements and we've made sure that this car is very suitable for the Australian market. You've got you know, 40 years of Commodore development, that we've um, got a, a team with a wealth of knowledge and experience. It's um, the same team that has worked on previous generations of Commodore that are now working on the new generation Commodore and so you've got that continuity in the team and I think that's a, a really critical part of it. It's the same um guys and girls that have worked on the previous car that are now working on this new car so does it feel like a commodore absolutely does it um, bring a new dimension yeah for sure there are changes in the car such as uh, in this one the all-wheel drive system that really offer a a different dynamic in the car um, and a different dimension but one that you know is absolutely worthy of wearing a commodore badge so for me as you said at the start of this chat there are skeptics out there i would just say get in the car give it a uh, give it a shot take one for a test drive and everyone that we've had we've had a few customers recently who um who've got an opportunity a sneak opportunity to drive the car they absolutely loved it and you know their customers who traditionally you would think oh maybe they wouldn't want uh you know be happy with the new car they loved it so yeah i guess my my um, words are just get in it and give it a shot i think once people drive it they'll see the powertrain performance they'll see the driving
0: dynamics are very much like a, a commodore should be
1: well,
0: that's rob's thoughts we'll be behind this uh, behind the wheel later today you'll be able to read our thoughts on motomag.com.au and in a future issue any comments any questions as usual let us know in the comments below thanks for listening to another episode of the performance car podcast thank you rob We'll see you again soon. Thank you.